Oh, well, Mr. Larris, nice to see you again. This isn't a professional call, Dr. Markov. I've come here on a purely personal matter. Oh, well, in that case, you'd better come into my private office. Thank you. Uh, won't you sit down? I'll remain standing, if you don't mind. Oh, as you wish. I'll get to the point very quickly, Dr. Markov. I've come here in regard to my daughter, Patricia. Ah, yes, a lovely young woman. And that's beside the point. She doesn't welcome your attentions. I'm forced to ask you to stop annoying her. I'm afraid you are being very insulting. Your persistence has left me no other choice. I've already explained my deep interest in your daughter. Perhaps you thought I was lying. Would you look at this picture? What if there is a resemblance? That doesn't give you the privilege of annoying her. But I am going to marry her. Marry? <laughs> I'm amazed at your conceit. I'm warning you, Dr. Markov. Unless you stop annoying my daughter, I shall call the police. Stop, not so fast. Let go of me! since you had yourself a big hot screaming ear full of forgotten horrors. <laughs> well, that's too long. Pull in close now for a crepuscular half hour or so of the Forgotten Horrors podcast with your hosts, John Woolley, Michael H. Price, and my own self, Wolf Brand Jack. And thank you very much, Wolf Brand Jack and Michael H. Price. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Forgotten Horrors podcast. Very glad to have you along with us. And uh, we've got uh, a dandy to talk about from 1944 uh, this the, today. I'll start to say this evening because that's when we're doing it, but you may be listening to it anytime. <laughs> the miracle of electronics. Uh, we've got one called The Monster Maker from my favorite Poverty Row studio of all time. Producer. Good old PRC. Yep. Yeah, PRC. And it has to do with acromegaly, which was the real-life disease, of course, that, that Rondo Hatton uh, had and, uh, and was, a, as people have often said, was a, a real-life monster. Now, I've talked to people, actually, I've only talked to one person who knew Rondo Hatton, and that was Kirby Grant. Sure. Kirby Grant said that Rondo Hatton was very literate, very cultured, very... Um, very uh, well-read man. He anyway, was a journalist. He was a journalist. He was a journalist, sure. Yeah, so of course, just right. like us, he had to be, <laughs> right? Yeah, we're, we're yes. top, top drawer. <laughs> but <laughs> essentially, uh, acromegaly is a pituitary gland um, uh, problem, uh, malfunction. And I have to, you know, before we get, I know Joey always likes us to get into the, uh, get into the synopsis before we go into 
But there's a story, Michael, that you've had in one of the Forgotten Horrors books. That is one of my favorite stories that you tell. And before we get into the uh, synopsis, I would like for you to tell the listeners that story, if you would. Well, this is way off the Monster Maker beat, but uh, very close to the Rondo Hatton beat. And both the Monster Maker and Rondo Hatton's career are examples of uh, what the disease called acromegaly can do to an individual, uh, basically a distortion of features and limbs uh, to the extent that the body smothers itself from within. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I, had, I was in uh, junior high school, uh, maybe early high school in the 1960s uh, when a, a neighborhood friend and I discovered uh, Rondo Hatton's final film, The Brute Man. Also PRC, of course, yeah. Yes, a, a PRC release of a universal production. That's right. And, um, and became fascinated with the guy. That Not much biographical information was available, but it was fairly evident that this was not an ordinary job of Hollywood monster makeup. Uh, so I found out what little I could from basically trade publications and show business. And uh, Richard Love, my neighborhood pal, and I <laughs> borrowed my dad's movie camera and did some uh, uh, makeup to make Richard Love resemble Rondo Hatton mm-hmm. and shot a sequel, <laughs> a sequel called Return of the Brute Man. Well, we never finished it. Of course, kids in, in that age range, range get easily distracted. And Richard and I had a rock and roll band going. Right. Sure. But um, uh, I'll, we can skip over a lot of that. The Rondo Hatton interest, if not obsession, persisted. And one day I drove uh, to my younger brother's school to pick him up after classes. And as I was waiting there parked outside the entrance to the schoolhouse, I noticed a young girl coming out of the school doors the child had the very features the very aspect of rondo hatton did a double takes like okay am i am i imagining this is this some kind of a fugue and she proceeded on her way and i followed her tractor visually as far as as my eyes could see and I was like shaking my head in disbelief, and yet there was no disbelieving. Uh, my brother came out, hopped in the car, and I said, that girl that I saw coming out of the school and described her, and my brother wouldn't have, wouldn't have known Rondo Hatton from Adam's off ox. Uh-huh. I, I said, you know, describe the features, and uh, he nods in recognition and says, oh, yeah, that's... Rhonda Hutton. <laughs> and the reaction, of course, <laughs> pulled, a, pulled a shrimp reaction. And yeah, that's like, right. Did a double, did a, yeah. I can imagine. Even all these years later, that has not entirely registered. <laughs> Rhonda Hutton. What a wonderful story. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. There you go. I love that story. All right, essentially, The Monster Maker is about a, um, a concert pianist who's played by Ralph Morgan um, and his dealings with a doctor, from a foreign doctor played by J. Carol Nash, who uh, feels like the uh, pianist 
daughter, Wanda McKay, is a kind of a dead ringer, or at least reminds him of his, uh, his late wife. And so through some sort of machinations, the doctor ends up, who is an expert on acromegaly, the mm -hmm. Carol Nash doctor, uh, it, it, uh, gives him an injection that actually causes acromegaly. Ah, yeah. Right. And uh, and so the, the so the the the, uh, the Ralph Morgan character actually gets acromegaly, and uh, we won't go into the I don't want to give away the ending, but um, it's it's not quite as grim as it sounds when everything is finally sorted out at the end. Now you know one of the things I've often thought about I figured it might be cause and effect that uh, that uh, the people who at PRC or whoever. Had, uh, had seen Rondo Hatton maybe in Pearl of Death and uh, gotten the idea of acromegaly because of that. Because you know how when something gets into the kind of into the dream stream, you know, <laughs> everybody, uh, everybody is suddenly cognizant of it. But that doesn't appear to be the case because um, Pearl of Death didn't start shooting until two months after, uh, after uh, Monster Maker was completed. Now, Rondo Hatton had yes. been around uh, since moving from Florida in, in the mid-30s. He'd been around and made some bit parts, uh, done some bit parts, but uh, he, he'd not been credited. He'd just been kind of one of those weird presences in the background, kind of like a skeleton nags type, you know, in university. Correct, yes. Um, so that wasn't it. Uh, it was, it, apparently, it was just a thing about acromegaly, and... The, you know, it's got everything. It's got like a dog. Uh, it's got a gorilla. It's got acromegaly. It's got <laughs> hypnotism. It's got a mad doctor. It's and got a Glenn Strange giant. Exactly what I was going to say. It's got the only actor to have played the Frankenstein monster more than, or as many times as Karloff, three times. Yes. And that's, of course, Glenn Strange. Later on, Sam the bartender in, uh, in Gunsmoke. And he's <laughs> in it, too. And uh, it, it's also somebody that you're very familiar with, Albert Glasser, the composer. This is his first, oh, as I understand, this is his first, uh, his first film. He, well, he had been working anonymously as a scoring master at small studios uh, and, and at some major studios. But he finally came into his own as a composer with the Poverty Row Studios and then mm -hmm. basically remained there for the balance of his career. Uh, including some Bird Eye Gordon assignments that yes. are quite memorable. And I, I don't have to remind you once again, you're talking to former president of Bird Eye Gordon family. <laughs> so I'm, that's I'm, a I'm hip. That's, that's always a trigger. <laughs> but it's really interesting. I, the budget really does show because, especially in the scene in which uh, Wanda McKay is being threatened at one point by the gorilla. Mm -hmm. And the uh, the German Shepherd uh, responds and and jumps up and starts sort of to, and then it just cuts and the next scene she's talking about how yes the dog came up and subdued the gorilla we yeah. don't see it we just hear her tell about it well yeah show don't tell show don't exactly exactly yeah. show don't tell. <laughs> Having said that, there's some fine actors in this. You know, I've always thought Ralph Morgan was was pretty underrated. Um, oh, he's he's he distinguishes any picture he's in. You know, whether uh, and and he's he's good. He's very good in in, in quite a few genre pictures. Um, yep. 
Night monster, for example. Night monsters. Weird woman. Uh, one of the one of the uh, yeah yes. one of the inner sanctums. He's very good yes. in that. But, uh, yeah, the uh, the thing that strikes me about <clears throat> the monster maker is that uh, it's one of the better made PRC pictures. These mm -hmm. were not polished productions, uh, all barring the the brute man, which was in fact a, a universal picture that Universal dumped on the PRC. After uh, Rondo had the death, irony of having, yeah. after Rondo had actually both both Rondo's starring pictures. Uh, name above the title type pictures were released after he had died. And uh, whether that was because of Universal feeling embarrassed or, or the other prevailing story that Universal was trying to remove its B picture image. Uh, but uh, Universal's loss was certainly PRC's gain. We're a lot wealthier for having this picture, uh, flawed though it be. Uh, thing the thing that always struck me and still does about the Monster Maker is that in many ways it seems a takeoff or uh, even marginal remake of Lou Lander's Universal picture, The Raven from 1935. All right. Uh, would you get into that a little bit? Because there is uh, classical music in that, of course. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. about about the about the great surgeon who uh, lusts after the daughter of a distinguished gentleman. Uh, mm -hmm. Both both endangered families have a uh, fine musical background or setting, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. career wise, and. Uh, Bela Lugosi's Dr. Valen and J. Carol Nash's evil surgeon in The Monster Maker uh, have a great deal in common, and the situation recalls. Right. This, including uh, in, in the, 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 Raven, the Raven, uh, Lugosi's transformation of a uh, uh, supporting character, Boris Karloff, uh, into a monstrous creature. Mm. Oh yeah, sure, sure. I never thought of that before. But that's right. And a lot of parallels there, and and that's not to, that's not to. Uh, well, the distinction is clear, and and that's not to demean the Lester uh, picture from PRC, but to indicate that it gets you, uh, that 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 recurring theme that we keep touching on about the the communal dream stream. Yes. It's like once those ideas start bouncing around there, they reverberate like 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 like. <laughs> buckshot in a in a in a closed space you're right you're right and by the way i have to tell the listeners that the uh, dog barking was not part of the soundtrack from uh, that we were talking about from uh, monster maker it was actually my dog duke who was barking at the G ups man so a little bit of verisimilitude in the uh, broadcast tonight yeah, yeah. but yeah you're right and i think also you you get you get sort of vibes from hands of orlac don't you Oh, definitely, hands of Borlak, yeah. uh, the 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 great uh, the great uh, Germanic expressionist mm -hmm. picture that that has itself been remade many times. I think uh, I won't dare to say what's the most recent such remake, but but it, it uh, that same theme of the surgeon uh, misbehaving yes shows up routinely. Uh, there's a good remake of Hands of Orlak called Hands of a Stranger. Which is a really uh, low budget film, but a really yeah. good. Is that John A? Is John Agar in that? 
I, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to. I think Hands of a Stranger may be, I'm, I'm trying to remember if that's, if that's a John Agar, but no, that's Hands of Death. I'm sorry. That's Hand of Death. That's, 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 the, death. that's, yeah. that's where he turns into the, the thing from the Fantastic Yes, Four. he does. He turns into Ben Grimm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a completely different deal. But you know, Ralph Morgan is, was also, you remember, in The Creeper, which we, uh, we talked about uh, uh, just a couple of podcasts ago, you know, that, that film that... I that, remember uh, that well, yes. Yeah, had June Vincent in and everything. Well, you know, you know J. Carol Nash is one of my favorites. Um, by that time, he'd had an Oscar nomination. So that was a feather in, uh, that was a feather in PRC's cap. But of course, what would happen, as you know, a supporting actor in the majors would go to poverty row or to B pictures, even on a major lot and be a star. Right. Right. So, you, you know, he was elevated to stardom in low budget pictures. And then he was a very competent and, and more than that, uh, uh, act, supporting actor in, in major films. Yeah. We, we discussed one of uh, Mr. Nash's uh, earlier mad doctor pictures, not too long ago. Uh, Dr. Renault's Secret. Dr. Renault's Secret, that's Renault right. Plays, plays the monstrous figure, but a sympathetic monster. Very, very nuanced and interesting performance yeah. in that by, by Nash. Nash was great. And, you know, you don't want to remember him from Dracula versus Frankenstein, but I do remember that uh, there's a new book out uh, by Sam Sherman. Have you mm -hmm. read it yet? No, I haven't. And, I, and, and Sam has been a good friend to the forgotten horrors books for he long. sure has he, and he's yeah he's a really good guy and uh, i've interviewed him before as you have and yeah um and i'm trying i cannot remember but you google sam sherman i'm sure you can find it i'd really recommend it because it's all about his company he had with al adamson independent international but anyway they made dracula versus frankenstein which you and i have both written about mm -hmm. a lot and um j carol nash of course by that point was 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 uh uh, apparently Sam Sherman says pretty cranky, but at one point he says to, uh, in the book, he, he relates a conversation he had with Jake Carroll Nash. And he says, well, Mr. Nash, he says, I know this isn't PRC and Jake Carroll Nash says, you bet your ass. It's not. <laughs> uh, so he was still, he was still pretty feisty. I think, I think Dracula versus Frankenstein was the last film that Jake Carroll Nash did. If yeah. I remember correctly, but yeah. of course, you know, you know, my, favorite J. Carroll Nash picture will always be Star in the Night, the one that Don Siegel won the Academy Award for the short they made yep. back in, uh, in, in 1945. Mm -hmm. I want to talk also, if I can, about Tala Burrell. Yeah. You know, Tala Burrell was one of those women who was imported. She's actually Romanian. She was born in Romania. But she was imported from Germany after Garbo hit. And there were a lot of those women that came in and got signed to major studio contracts, and usually they didn't work out, and they got cut loose. And they ended up going wherever they could. And Tala Burrell has always been really fascinating to me. Now, in this picture, she is the assistant to J. Carol Nash, who loves him. Yeah, the and, kind of the kind of fatal lady who's also the wronged lover. Exactly, it's the spurned lover. That's exactly right. And, you know, she, she, she really went pretty fast to B pictures. I mean, she's in the gosh, she's in so many uh, women in bondage. She's in that one for PRC. She's in a <laughs> ton of, of really exploitation films, but I've always liked her. And I have to tell oh. you, 
I yeah, yeah. the same year, the same year as the Monster Maker, Talaburel did a Mad Doctor her own self. Which one? Jungle Queen. Of course, yes, of course you did. Yeah, you know we had a Jungle Queen might be a good film for us to deal with at some point too. <laughs> but I Talaburel, I was looking at on eBay. God help me. And somebody had an autographed picture of Tala Burrell from 1937. Wow. And the price was right. And I just had to hit that button. And I'm so <laughs> delighted. I've been fogging up the mailbox, kind of like when a, a new disc of yours arrives, Michael. Yes, uh, yes. I've been fogging up the mailbox for that Tala Burrell. But, but people, nobody, I mean, I'm sure the folks who listen to, to, uh, to this podcast I'm sure there's a lot of them who Talaburel is, but she's pretty much a forgotten figure, isn't she? Oh, too gone too soon. I think her last her last uh, appearance was in that <laughs> wretched Flash Gordon TV series. Yes, with Steve Holland. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also want to we also want to uh, mention the female lead, uh, Dorothy Quackenbush. Um, who was actually her, her her name was Wanda McKay. Her nom de cinema was Wanda McKay. She was one of those, I, you know, she really was Michael, one of those great uh, poverty row leading ladies like Joan Woodbury or, or, or like Louise Curry, you know, those mm -hmm. people that were really good. They just well, yeah. never managed to get out of that. Uh, but they did such splendid work. Yeah. The, <gasps> Wanda McKay, you know, I mean, uh, too bad she didn't keep her real name. Quackenbush would look great on her. But, uh, but she was she was the she was the Chesterfield cigarettes girl. She was. That's how she really broke through, wasn't it? And then mm -hmm. she ends up like the same year. She's doing um, Monster Maker. She does Voodoo Man for Monogram with, with yeah. Lugosi. Does Bowery at Midnight with Lugosi, mm -hmm. Tom Neal. And then she does this one. I mean, she, and you know, the, the thing that I like about her in her later years, or the thing I like about her story, I guess, in her later years, she married Hoagie Carmichael. Yeah. And were, was his, uh, his wife until his death. Mm -hmm. And so, so you look at her in Monster Maker, and she's marrying one of the great composers of our time down the line, which I think is, is kind of sweet. I think that's just really nice. That's uh, that's uh, that's why that's why we do this thing that we do with these uh, mostly forgotten movies. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got so much interesting backstory. Uh, the big Hollywood pictures, of course, they've got backstory, but they're too damned famous. Yes, the backstory's and, been told. Yes, and and the the. <laughs> The vagaries of, of the complications and vicissitudes of making Gone with the Wind. How much more do you need to know? Uh, no, I want to know more about Monster Maker rather than Gone with the Wind, exactly. don't you? And, and, this is, and this is why we do what we do, because these, uh, these, these pictures that have fallen through the cracks, mm -hmm. never to be lost, but sometimes to be beyond resurrection, or so it seemed. Uh, when, when George Turner and I started the Forgotten Horrors books in 1975, uh, we acknowledged, and hence the title, that most of these pictures were not accorded the respect we thought they deserved. Not that they're great or even near perfect, uh, but 
because I mean, this was in a period when, when one of the major films and review on TV books could describe uh, a big universal picture, Bride of Frankenstein, in these words, way above average for this kind of trash. Wow. And yeah. that's, that was a trigger to my eye in that period of the late, later mid-century. And uh, then you get down to uh, what some people call bottom of the barrel pictures, like the, the PRCs and the monograms. Uh, you realize maybe they're average, maybe they're way above average, but I'm not going to, to dismiss any earnestly made picture as trash. No, no, or any really any picture that 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 can entertain because you know that whole deal we've talked about this you and I both on the mic and off the only bad picture is a, is a picture that bores you. <laughs> I'm thinking of out of Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and once again, you know, I mean, there is no accounting for taste. No, so. no, that's exactly right. But this little picture, it's just about an hour and change. And it it is a, 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 a very interesting and a very compelling little film in a lot of ways. I I really enjoyed watching it. Matter of fact, I watched it by myself. Then I had Joey come on. Joey watched it. We watched it together. And mm. it's just it's it's a it's an entertaining picture. Uh, and it's and I love seeing the people because you know you look at it and people say well it was like low budget and it was but these people showed up on the lot they had dreams they had aspirations they were trying to make a good picture and yeah. you know it wasn't no it wasn't Casablanca and you know it wasn't even Bride of Frankenstein or it wasn't even uh, you know what Weird Woman or you know or yeah. or or Captive Wild Woman I mean but but for what it was. I think it's. I think it's a. I think it's a nice little picture. They're not. They're not really pictures of commercial ambition. There was a built-in audience for mm -hmm. low-budget horror films, if you want to call them that. Yeah. Uh, there was, however, the ambition to experiment and to make as good an impression as one could, whether on screen or off screen, uh, in the hopes of maybe landing a bigger assignment, or well, at least you know, keeping the keeping the wolf out of the door. And, you know, I, I always think about Edgar Ulmer and his time at PRC yeah. and the notion that he liked PRC because he didn't have any money to make his pictures, but they stayed out of his way. <laughs> he could experiment. He could do things yeah. that he couldn't have done at Universal. And you know? it's because of the PRCs and the monograms and the lower budget uh, pictures, especially the genre pictures like well, film noir. Mm -hmm. and and the supernatural and scientific horrors, it's because of pictures like that that we have artists working today, uh, such as, well, David Lynch, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, mm -hmm. uh, all of whom were inspired by that experimental approach that you don't get, with rare exceptions, from the major studios. Well, there is a joy in watching films that didn't cost very much to make. <laughs> and it's it's hard to define, but that's one of the things that we do here at the Forgotten Horrors podcast. And uh, we, we can direct you once again to YouTube. There's a very nice print of a monster maker for free on YouTube. And, uh, and we recommend that you take a look at it. If, as an old friend of mine once said, if you like that sort of thing, that's the sort of thing you'll like. <laughs> 
you know. <laughs> All right, Michael, tell now we'll get to the uh, and we hope people don't skip over this. We'll get to the uh, the uh, the portion of the show where we talk about what uh, what we've been doing lately and uh, what have you got out there most recently? Well, been watching my uh, uh, collaborative uh, Texas crime book, Lone Star Larceny, climbing right. on the charts. Yeah, very and, good, very good book. Very boy, talk about a portmanteau. Oh yeah, My yeah, big old mixed bag of 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 uh, how did we put it on the cover? Mayhem, mayhem, misanthropy, and murder. <laughs> I'm, I'm, and I at a time when I really should be. Uh, kind of framing up the concept for another forgotten horrors book, I find myself tempted to go in and do another true crime or fictional crime, maybe mm -hmm. book, or maybe you, combine the two. Are you going to do a graphic, a graphic novel wise, or uh, what I'm, are you going? I'm thinking of uh, prose. Ah, good, good. Uh, been, been, uh, had, uh, of course, uh, my longtime friend Joe Lansdale does that so well that nobody else can be even envious of his skill. Mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm. uh, you, you read a little Lansdale, like the Happ and Leonard books, and you think, gosh, I wish I could do something like that. So, yeah. well, you know, uh, wishing is futile. Doing right. is essential. Right. That's right. That's exactly right. But uh, yeah, some, of the, some of the nonfiction pieces that appeared in Lone Star Larceny I find will lend themselves to uh, overhaul into a fictional mode. Nice, very good. Let's see, okay, let's see what happens with that? Well, I'm enjoying playing uh, selections from your albums on my uh, on my radio show, Swing on This. Which, if people that are interested in Western swing music and also stuff that gets a little bit outside of the norm from time to time, you can pick me up at 7 p.m. Tulsa time, uh, live streaming on publicradiotulsa.org. It's a, a show good called good to Swing Saturday. on This. Yeah, good way to spend a Saturday night. On a Saturday night, that's right. And I want to also mention that mine and Ron Wolf's novel, which just was optioned for a fourth year uh, by Sony Pictures Television, uh, is uh, out in a new edition with two new stories, one by me and one by Ron, and some uh, nonfiction material as well as the original story. Uh, it's out from Babylon Books, and you can find it just about anywhere. I'm really proud of the short story that I wrote uh, that introduces it uh, called Dave, which is an homage, if you will, to your and my friend, uh, Michael, uh, Dave Friedman. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Poverty Row pictures. Speaking of guys who did creative stuff on Poverty Row. Yeah. God bless him. And uh, so, yeah, so uh, take a look at, uh, at at Michael H. Price's books on Amazon and mine on Amazon, if you will, John Woolley, and also at johnwoolley.com. Got some stuff up there. I noticed, Michael, we're selling some Forgotten Horrors books as well. Yeah, um, that's what they're there for. That is exactly what they're, we're there, they're there for. And once again, Thank you all for listening. We appreciate it. We'll be back in another month or so and uh, and uh, have something new. And I think I don't want to um, I don't want to uh, surprise you, Michael, because we really haven't talked about this. But I I would like to either do there's three films that I'd like to think about our doing the next mm -hmm. time we do uh, The Devil's Partner with Ed Nelson. Oh yeah. All right. The Maze. With Richard Carlson. Great favorite here. 
Is it really? Good. And a film called The Fat Spy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now that one I hadn't thought of in a while. Oh, my. <laughs> Michael, Joey and I have been talking about this for a couple of days now. Yeah. I had Joey actually go back and said, Joey, it's just his eyes just roll back in his head when we talk about it. It is one of the oddest and really worst pictures I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it's it's not without its its uh, high points. Well, no, that's true. It doesn't have any high points. It's not true. It is not without its uh, points of interest. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. So one of those three folks is probably what we're going to be dealing with next week. Do you have a particular uh, favorite, Michael, out of those? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, w- I would also encourage the listeners to tune in on Facebook to the Forgotten Horrors podcast. Page yes. And uh, drop suggestions of their own. Yes, which we've done before. We've done several yeah, we, suggestions. That's, from that's, that's an open invitation. We try to make things as interactive as we can. That's right. Uh, uh, whether we're dealing in digital or tactile print realms, we always invite uh, the uh, reader to, or the reader or the listener to, to drop in and, and say, hey, um, for, the, for those immediate titles you mentioned, I'd go for any and all of them. I'm especially fond of the maze. Uh, which... A lot of people just don't know about that picture. Now we'll not be able to see it in its original 3D, of course. It's it's it's. But you can tell watching the flat screen version where the 3D effects were. Oh, that, can you ever? That's almost as much fun. Plus, it's it's a it's a tremendous picture by a, by a big studio Oscar Oscar bait uh, art director and turned director uh, who also made. Uh, Invaders from Mars. During William this Cameron Menzies, right? Cameron Menzies, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Okay. Well, maybe let's let's just go ahead and do that. This is kind of an ad hoc deal. Let's just go ahead and do the maze next time. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> well, Mike, it's great as always. Thank you. Thank everybody for listening. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Lovely. Thank you, Joey Hambrick, for, uh, for producing and rolling your eyes when I mentioned the fat spy. <laughs> We'll be back before you know it.